You're listening to the Pain Matters Podcast, presented by the American Academy of Pain Medicine, the nation's leading podcast for healthcare providers, focused on providing the best care today, tomorrow, and beyond. Each episode, we'll share the latest innovations and practical applications that directly impact how we care for patients and measure success in multidisciplinary care. Let's get started. Hello, and welcome back to Pain Matters. I'm so excited to be here today with Dr. Christina Leshort. And Christina is currently at Cypher Medicine, where she serves as the Senior Director of Clinical Development and Strategy. Prior to her role at Cypher, Christina was actually at the MD Anderson Cancer Center, where she served as an interventional pain physician, and she was also the fellowship director of the Multidisciplinary Pain Medicine Fellowship. Welcome, Christina. Thank you so much, Ravani. So happy to be here. So Christina, tell us what it is that you do exactly. So I am the senior director for clinical development and strategy at Cypher Medicine, which is a precision immunology company. And essentially what our mission is, is to match patients with their most effective therapies to improve their overall health outcomes. How do you make that match between patients and what would be most effective? My job is to create the clinical evidence generation plan that pushes forward the product that we have on the market. And that is something called Prism RA, which is a diagnostic blood test that essentially will tell whether or not a patient, an RA patient in particular, a rheumatoid arthritis patient, will respond to a specific drug. And the way we do that is through this platform that the company has. It's using the patient's blood. We can enter their data into this platform and then generate a diagnostic outcome. Interesting. This is very innovative and disruptive and AI is all the thing in medicine and it can be good. It can be not so great. Like we saw with IBM and Watson health. I think the way you're using AI, it seems really promising. I'm so excited to see what your company does. Yeah, it's really exciting time and precision medicine and personalized medicine. We hear a lot about these days and that is certainly in my biased view, the future of medicine and I hope the future of pain medicine. Yeah, I hope so too. I know that we've talked about using AI to kind of predict what kind of treatments would work for what patients. So using data to find those learning algorithms, to find those patterns and sort of project outcomes. And I hope that we'll get to that point soon and that the AI algorithms can kind of identify patterns that the human eye isn't currently identifying. So that will be really neat if it can make its presence known in pain medicine. Let's talk a little bit about what prompted your transition. So you're in clinical medicine, you were a fellowship director in academia at a very prestigious institution. I know that you saw lots of cancer patients and that can be very rewarding to treat pain in cancer patients. So what made you transition out? And I know, you know, I, I remember working with you during that time and you were doing some really creative projects. You and I actually had a lot of similar interests and even were collaborating on some things. So what prompted your transition? I wanted to make an even greater impact than what I was doing to improve the way healthcare is delivered more globally and to change the way it's thought about and the way it's delivered. And doing that in academics is a lot slower paced and on a smaller scale or so it felt to me. And so, you know, you hear a lot in, in academics about industry being the dark side of things. And I still hear that and get that from folks who I've known in academics and I think the reason behind why I used to hear that or why I hear that is that there's not enough of people who are like us in industry on the other side 
hence the darkness of it. We can't see what they're doing and they don't have the shared experience that we have and they haven't been the ones who have delivered frontline patient care. And the only way to change that is to get more clinicians like you and me to participate in the creation and delivery of these innovative technologies. The short answer is to make a greater impact. Great point. I always say there's a little bit of a difference between medicine and public health and business. In medicine, pain medicine, today I might have seen 20 patients and I'm able to change the lives of those 20 patients and maybe their families and their friends, the people they interact with. And that's very rewarding and gratifying. But public health, working in industry even allows you to impact a lot more people at once. And that is really exciting. And the truth is, I agree with you. We need innovation and we need academics who are willing to sort of straddle that boundary and go to the dark side, if you will, because it's not really a dark side. I mean, innovation is critical to bring new options and treatments to patients, which is kind of what I'm hearing you say. And people who have actually taught in academia, know a lot about research, know about treating patients and very difficult patients would actually make great additions to industry. So I hear you. And I think that's really cool. The American Medical Association put something out saying that one in every five doctors is going to leave clinical medicine in the next two years. What do you think about that? I think that's not all that surprising, given all that we have been through in the last couple of years, pandemic and the way that the system is changing. It becomes more and more difficult to practice the art of medicine and what we all, I think, went to medical school for. And so there's a rise in burnout, and I'm not surprised that that's the statistic. And it will be interesting to see where these folks go and what they end up doing. And industry certainly is a place where they could thrive. And so how did you do this? So let's say someone in pain medicine that might be listening to this podcast is interested in making that leap. How did you do it? And what prepared you for this transition? So I am sort of a living example of that cliche. It's all about who you know. (laughs) So this role in particular did come to me through my medical school network. But I think leveraging your network is really important in every field. And whether or not it's transitioning or not, you never know what doors will open up. But you never know. I've always lived by the sort of understanding that you never know who comes along, who you may be reporting to one day. Even if that person is the nurse that you run into in the hallway, that person could be maybe your higher up one day. Who knows if they are a hospital administrator or you join a company that they're working for. And so, you know, you never know who people will end up being. To prepare, I reached out to my network and started to talk to any friends, family, or anybody who would talk to me about working in biotech, working in tech or startups in general. You know, the company I went to is a startup. And so I started to ask a lot of questions. And one of the greatest pieces of advice that I was given was take advantage of the fact that you're a newbie, someone new to the industry and play the green person card and ask as many questions as possible early on. And I've done that as much as I can. One other great resource that I like to recommend to folks who are interested in non-clinical careers is this podcast by Marjorie Stiegler. And I'm sure you know about it. She's an anesthesiologist who is in medical affairs now. I don't know the name of it, but maybe you could look it up. But she runs a podcast and she has like a coaching business to help physicians transition into non-clinical careers. 
These are all really good points. I think what you're saying about the network is critical. I actually personally believe that when you go to meetings, it's actually less about the presentations and more about who you're meeting. That's my personal opinion. The presentations are great, but at least in academia, I can get a lot of information through journal clubs and lectures that we do. It's more about the network you're creating. Who are you talking to? What are you learning from them? What kind of relationships are you building? And to me, that is almost more important. And it seems like that came in very handy for you when you were ready to make a change. And so the other thing I want to ask you is, so you went and did an MBA. We actually graduated from our MBAs together. What do you think that the MBA gave you? I think just going back to the network, a lot of people will say that you go to get your MBA for the network. And that's certainly a large part of it. I think the people that you meet, they can open so many doors for you and really just change your perspective on things and help you see the world in a larger scope. And then the other thing I think that's important that I gained out of going to business school is how to speak the same language as the corporate folk. So I understand finance when they're talking about the total adjustable market and you know when they discuss market research. And now my role, I have to implement strategy. And so I understand how to do that. These things you can learn from doing your own case reports or reading, but sometimes structured learning helps in that regard, at least for me. I'm a nerd at heart and love homework. And so if you give me a learning plan and homework, I'll do it. But yeah, all of those things. I would say even, at least for me, I always thought that I was a pretty good public speaker. I have the whole show Pain Rounds and I've done a lot of things with media I have been told by multiple people that my speaking has completely transformed. I literally just gave some lectures at the medical school today and someone really high up actually came up to me and said, your speaking has gotten so much better from last year. Your presentation skills have improved. Your slides are so much better. And I was really kind of shocked because I didn't know that my slides needed all that work or that my speaking did. So it was interesting to hear that, but we did take all these classes on how to present and how to communicate and how to break concepts down and how do you do a pitch, you know, and what are the elements of that and how do you persuade and bring in an audience? And I think all of that could be very helpful when you move on into a different type of role. So Christina, how do you define innovation in medicine? You know, we see people writing things, place the spinal cord stimulator today, hashtag innovation. I mean, respectable, but it's really the company that innovated. Placing the stimulator is capitalizing on innovation. I wouldn't call that innovating. So what is innovation, truly innovation? Yeah, that can be a tricky question. So innovation is anything that you're doing that is thinking outside of the box. At least that's what it means to me. So, and it can be as small as rethinking a clinical process so that the clinic flow, you know, works better and is more effective and wastes less time. That can be innovation, or it can be as large as like you're referring to a medical device, a new medical device that is created to treat chronic pain. But innovation in general just means maybe going against the status quo and doing something differently and daring to think outside of the box. Love that. I mean, I think I read somewhere that innovators, the data shows they're not really agreeable people, which is maybe not what you want to hear. But I guess when everyone goes right, you kind of have to be willing to go left. And that's just how it is. But when you think outside the box and you can really redefine spaces and it's not always pleasant, like you said, you typically encounter resistance. Some of the things I did earlier in my career 
I wouldn't have known were really entrepreneurial because I always thought that entrepreneurial meant you were trying to create something for a profit. And I did a lot of things that were innovative that I never really thought of as entrepreneurial, but someone redefined that for me more recently and said, no, you're very entrepreneurial because you found a gap and you filled the gap with a solution. And that in itself is entrepreneurial. So I think it depends on how you define it. And I agree, it can be something very small, a quality improvement project, like you mentioned, or um, something very large, a patent, or or something that's truly uh, going to disrupt and transform the entire space. So it can be anything. Do you think there's a certain number of years you need to be in clinical medicine before you are effective in a role in industry? I hear this a lot on the other side now. There's this comparison of folks who are in industry who've never practiced before and how there might be a stigma that they don't get it, like the clinicians who have practiced medicine. So I wouldn't say there's a magic number. There's not like a, you must practice five years before you enter industry. I would argue that experience is beneficial overall. And so any clinical experience, and whether that's just an intern year even, is beneficial to understanding the patient experience and understanding the clinician's experience. But I wouldn't say that there is a requirement in the number of years, no. So I, I know you're a pain physician. You know, you trained in anesthesiology, I believe, and then interventional pain medicine. But the company that you went to is kind of artificial intelligence-based, immunology It's not exactly pain medicine. So talk to us a little bit about that. What's that like? What challenges might that have brought or what opportunities? I think the beautiful thing about both anesthesia and pain is that it's very universal. In anesthesia, we would see and treat patients with all sorts of diseases, unless you did a specialty where you were only seeing cardiac or what have you. And then in pain, again, it's very universal. You see patients with all kinds of different diseases and comorbidities and etiologies of pain. And so I feel like my training has prepared me for all sorts of different practice right now. So the company I work with is focused in the autoimmune space. And so the the current product is for rheumatoid arthritis, but there are other pipeline products that will just be in the autoimmune space. And so a lot of autoimmune patients have pain. Think of your rheumatoid arthritis patients. I'm sure you see some in practice. Uh, Obviously, they come to you for pain, but it's a big part of their lives. And so I still feel that I am helping to improve the treatment of pain as a byproduct of the treatment of disease. It has been an adjustment, I'd say, to switch to a different disease area and focus But it's been exciting for me because I love to learn. And so I get to learn about this new area and do research on it and read about it. And for me, that's very enjoyable. And so it's been very exciting. And the transition has been just great. It is exciting to challenge yourself and learn these new dimensions. And I think they can prepare you for a lot of different things. Even if you came back to academia at some point, you would be far more knowledgeable and able to contribute. Or if you went into health policy or or anything else, I think it will prepare you. So that is certainly exciting. What advice do you have for others who might want to follow a non-traditional or non-clinical pathway in their careers? Reach out to your network and just ask questions. Ask as many questions as you possibly can and find out, you know, if it's something that you want to do by asking the questions. A lot of folks, I think, are on the fence due to fear of just not knowing what it is that you'll be doing and the fear of not being able to go back to clinical medicine. But I think that nothing is forever. And so just do it 
and try it. And if you don't like it, you could always go back. That's true. You can always go back. And I think you would probably just become more valuable because you would have more expertise and more to contribute. So, and you might even find yourself in a different type of role than you had even envisioned. And we've seen that where we've had people go to industry and come back into academia and now they're far more valuable than they were before they left. So I think there's certainly something to gain and you can always come back, like you said. Anything else, Christina, that you want to say to our audience? I'm really excited about your podcast in general and the pain innovation space is just ripe for destruction. And I think this is a great time for anyone out there who's interested in entering industry focused on pain. And I hope that we'll see a lot of new companies come out and maybe at the next AAPM meeting, we'll be talking about them. I think one thing that struck me that you said earlier was that immunology encompasses so many things and some of those are pain states. Pain really cuts across pretty much every medical specialty, maybe not radiology or pathology so much, but most medical specialties that have a clinical patient-facing aspect will have pain. And so no matter what you're doing, the pain training and the pain background will probably come in handy. I really appreciate that. Yeah, absolutely. Pain and anesthesia both, right? So Christina, thank you so much for your time and for telling us about this transition that you made. I think you were brave to make it so early in your career. We mostly hear about people doing this, you know, 20 years into practice or at least 10 years. You're very successful at it, at what you're doing. Can't wait to see what you do next. And we'll look forward to also having you as a judge again next year at the AAPM Innovation Challenge. So thanks, Christina. Thanks to the AAPM for hosting this podcast. Thank you, Shravani. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening to the Pain Matters Podcast. If there's anything we mentioned in today's show you missed, don't worry. We take the notes for you at painmed.org podcast. If you're not already a subscriber, please consider pressing the subscribe button on your podcast player so you never miss a future episode. And don't forget to leave us a rating and review to help us reach and educate even more of our peers in pain medicine.